Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. I hope, just like the songs that we sang this morning, I hope that there is joy in the house of the Lord today. I have so much joy in my heart today because of that victory in Jesus that we sang about. But it doesn't end there. Just like the last song we sang, I need God. I need the guidance of His Spirit, the comfort of His Spirit. I need that every second of every minute of every hour of every day. And I thank God so much for it. Last week, we talked about rejoicing. We talked about how we were a people of joy and not of sadness. We talked about how we can rejoice and how we can experience the joy of God because of who he is, irregardless of where we may find ourselves in life. Today, we are going down a very, very different path. Um, I was ordained 13 years ago in 2010, a little church in Morriston, Florida. And I preached there. We pastored a church in West Virginia, and now we're here. And, and I will preach here, as many of you know, on occasion when Pastor Aaron is not here. Um, I have shied away from this subject for 13 years. It's been on my heart a couple times, and I have detoured because I felt unable to present that message. It's not, it's not an easy message to preach. A story is told of a preacher that just finished preaching a strong Bible message on hell. A church member said to him, don't you know that the more up-to-date preachers have taken hell out of the Bible? The preacher said, they may have done that, but the trouble is they haven't destroyed it. Hell is all too real. It's not a popular subject. And personally, I believe modern people, modern preachers avoid it because it's extremely unpopular. And they don't, they don't give very much support. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk about murder. We don't like to talk about poverty. We don't like to talk about sickness or death. But just as much as hell, those things are very, very real. Though we don't like to think about it, we must face the fact that sin and its very punishment is very real. We must realize that people sin in this world and that there is a judgment to come. And that God has reserved punishment for sinners. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew 18, verses 7 through 9. And also throw a finger over into the Gospel of John, 
because we'll be reading from there as well. If you're willing and able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 18, verses 7 through 9. I am reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses do come. If your hand or your foot causes you downfall, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you downfall, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye rather than have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. John chapter 17 verses 1 through 5. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh. So he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And finally, John 3. Just flip over a couple chapters to John 3, verses 16 through 18. A very, very familiar passage. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let me read that again. So everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Because God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for giving us this opportunity to gather in freedom, to gather in fellowship, raise our hearts and our hands to you, worshiping you, the one and only true God. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son because we realize, Lord, we are no better than anyone else as they are we once were. And in your mercy and in your grace, you reached down and you pulled us from the grave, giving us the most precious gift of all, eternal life through your son, the Christ. Let us never take it for granted. And let us ever be mindful, Lord, of your calling upon our lives to take your message, the gospel, to those around us. Burn with us a passion for those who yet do not know you. 
Give us your heart. Father God, set me today on the back burner that your message be preached. I am not worthy. But let your words be spoken. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. People, sorry, people do not go to hell because God does not love them. People go to hell because they do not love God. They have never accepted God's gift of salvation, which is simply his son, Jesus Christ. They don't go because they lied, because they stole, because they cheated. They lied and they stole and they cheated because that is their nature. That is the sinful nature of mankind. But thankfully, God provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, that changes the very nature of mankind. That because of our acceptance of that gift, our nature has now been changed. We are no longer cheaters and liars, thieves. We're a new creation in Christ. And we should thank God for that every single day. Many people in this world have created a mindset of what they think hell is. Let me share a few with you. Isaac Asimov. He said, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven. For whatever the torture of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Leif Wiener is an American philosopher and college professor. He said that hell doesn't exist. It's a creation by traditions of men and a misunderstanding of scripture. This man is molding the minds of our society and children. Comedian Woody Allen. Hell is Manhattan at rush hour. Barack Obama. I find it hard to believe that my God would consign four-fifths of the world to hell. I can't imagine that my God would allow some little Hindu kid in India who never interacts with the Christian faith to somehow burn for all eternity. That's not part of my religion. Carlton Pearson. He's a minister and a gospel artist. I don't know how many of you know him. He was actually the heir to Oral Roberts. And he was a Pentecostal bishop that presided over 600 churches. He has fallen from that position because of his teachings and beliefs. He simply said the gospel of the good news about hell is that there isn't one. Mark Twain said that a dying man couldn't make up his mind which place to go. Because both have their advantages. Heaven for the climate. Hell for the company. Victor Hugo. An intelligent whole. Hell. Would be better than a stupid paradise. Not all of the world holds these opinions. But I think from this small little section. We can get an idea. Of what the vast majority think of hell. It either doesn't exist. 
It's something to make fun of. Look at the character of the devil that we see on TV all the time. This little red imp with a pointed tail, horns, and a pitchfork sitting on somebody's shoulder, whispering things into his ear with an angel on the other side. It's comedic. Hell is not funny. Not funny at all. While people make fun of hell, our Bible, the words of the writers of the New Testament and the very words of Jesus Christ paint a terrifying image of what awaits those who do not accept the gift of Christ in hell. Our first point, hell is a very literal place. It's a real place. 70 times in the Gospels, Jesus warns us about a literal hell. In Matthew, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the parable of the rich man that we find in Luke, Hades is a very literal place where that unrighteous man went immediately upon his death. He was tormented. He was in agony. He had an unquenching thirst. Even worse than that, he had the memory and the knowledge that he did not have to be there. There was darkness. There was separation from God. And there was ultimate destruction. 2 Thessalonians says that taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who do not know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation says that anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a large place. We're told that the road to hell is very wide and the road to heaven is very narrow. Why is the road to hell very wide? Because there's a lot of people going there and that should sadden us. In Isaiah, we read that therefore Sheol enlarges its throat and opens wide its enormous jaws and go down Zion's dignitaries, her masses, her crowds, and those who carouse in her. The imagery here of a throat enlarging and jaws widening to not just welcome, but consume those that don't believe in Christ. In John 14, the, uh, verses 1 through 3, the word that they use for place in the Greek is topos, which means a geographical location. So if heaven is a very, very real place, hell is a very, very real place. Because if there's heaven, then there's a God and if there's hell, there's a devil. And if there's a heaven and there's a God and there is eternal life, then there is a hell and there is a devil and there is eternal pain, eternal fire, eternal torment. Do any of you remember that story I told last week about the little worm? Anybody? A couple. Real briefly. 
There was an Englishman that came to the United States and he met an American Indian and the American Indian was telling him about Jesus and the Englishman said, why are you so consumed with this Jesus? The Indian reached down, he took a bunch of sticks and twigs and he made a little circle. He took a worm and put it in the circle and then let the circle on fire. The worm kept going this way and that way, trying to get away, but he couldn't, so he curled up in the middle and waited to die. The Indian plucked the worm out of the circle and held it to his heart and said, this is why I am consumed with Jesus Christ. Those that deny Christ and end up in hell can't get out of that circle. That fire is forever. At least the worm had a hope of death. But those in hell never die. They live forever in pain and in fire. Again, that should break our hearts. It's a lasting place. It's eternal. It's said that if a little bird was to move one grain of sand from the ocean every thousand years, when all that sand was gone, hell would still be there. Matthew 25 says, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word for eternal, and I'm going to mess this up, in Greek is ahionios. That word means that without beginning and without end, that which always has been and always will be, never to cease, everlasting. In Matthew 25 again, in verse 41, he says, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into an eternal fire that was prepared for the devil. And his demons. Hell is a place of memory. In hell there will be continued consciousness and immediate awareness of where you are. The rich man knew who he was. The rich man knew where he was. And he remembered Lazarus. He remembered Lazarus' brothers which means he also knew he didn't have to be there. Hell is a place of torment. Revelation 14.11 says, And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. Suffering. Men suffer here. People suffer here in the world. But it is nothing to compare with the suffering that they must endure for all of eternity in hell. The rich man said, I am tormented in this flame. Jesus uses these words to describe it. The fire will never be quenched. The body and soul is destroyed in hell. There is utter darkness and ultimately absolute separation from God. How do you feel about your relationship with God? What is 
the sense of knowing that the Holy Spirit abides within you. The understanding and the knowledge that you can reach out to God at any time, at any moment, for anything. That he knows what you want before you even ask it. That he is a loving father that would never deny you anything that is good for you. Not all of your wants, but all of your needs. That doesn't exist to those in hell. The very things that we cherish don't exist in hell. There's utter darkness. There's no beauty in hell. The sun never shines. The grass never grows. The flowers never blossom. It is darkness. I don't understand the concept of utter darkness and the concept of eternal fire. I don't get it. But you know what? I don't have to. I don't. I know it's real. I know it exists because this tells me. And the word of God is truth. I'm not a scientist. I'm not going, trying to go into a whole lot of detail. I know that there's such a thing as a black flame. Is that what it is in hell? I don't know. But there's utter darkness. An, un an ungodly son made his father a promise that when he died, he would put a window at his grave. Because he was afraid of the dark. He wanted the rays of sun to shine down a shaft into his casket. When the boy died, the father did just that. The undertaker put a window in the casket. But how many of you know that when the sod and the dirt were placed in the hole upon the casket that was lowered first, the sunlight never reached the face of the child? It was utter darkness. There's unquenching thirst. Remember the rich man prayed, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. How many of you do yard work? How many of you have been outside under a bright sun on a day, working in your yard, doing whatever all day long, and then at the end of the day, the only thing you want is a nice glass of cold ice water. I work with a guy who never drinks water, at least not plain water. Well, no, he doesn't drink water at all. He drinks pop all the time. I don't get it because to me, a tall glass of ice cold water is one of the most refreshing things you could ever have. Now imagine working outside in that yard all day long in the heat and the sun. You're taking your sweat off. You're just covered in sweat. You're nasty. You're grimy. And there's no water. There's nothing to drink. Now multiply that. Extrapolate that by millions. We can't comprehend it. The rich man also said, I am in agony in this flame. In Matthew, our Christ says that the Son of Man will send forth his angels 
and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Mark, he says that if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out, for it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes, to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. You ever burn yourself? Imagine being burned over your entire body and your nerve endings never dying and being able to feel that forever. I can't imagine what that would be like. There is eternal sorrow in hell. There's no children laughing. I had the wonderful opportunity of having my grandchildren this past weekend. I have a four-year-old, a little red-haired, orange-haired girl that was sitting here. And then I have a little year-and-a-half-old that's back in the nursery currently. The laugh of a baby. You want to talk about something that just sparks joy in your life? When Judah was little and he would just run across the floor laughing and giggling. You don't have that. You don't have singing. You don't have laughing. You don't have playing. There's nobody smiling. They have been locked away in the depths of despair. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is unimaginable horrors in hell. And one of those horrors is the undying memory of the opportunities lost. The rich man knew everything. And I believe that those lost in hell remember every time they were told about Christ. Remember every time they could have gone to church. Remember every time, you know, they heard a sermon on TV or a snippet on the radio and turned the channel. And think, why didn't I just listen more? I felt the spirit prodding on my heart. Why didn't I obey? We cannot thrive without hope. And there is no hope in hell. It's suffering after suffering after suffering with no hope of escape. That worm could have suffered a merciful death. Those in hell do not. Hell is a place of separation from God. What is the worst part of hell? God is love and there's no love in hell. God is light and hell is complete darkness. God is good and there's absolutely nothing good in hell. God is life, which means hell is eternal death. And God is gracious and there's no graciousness in hell. Just think of it, what an eternity would be like without the joy of knowing God and experiencing his mercies. We speak about how his mercies are new every day. Not in hell. 
Those who do not choose Christ as Lord and Savior and repent of their sins will spend eternity apart from him in hell. Second Thessalonians say that these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. This message truly saddens me. Because there are many people in my life and in my circle of influence that I know don't know Christ. And when I think about their ultimate destination, it breaks my heart. What can I do? I can be faithful in God, to God in speaking his truth to those around me. Hell is the only other place to spend eternity other than heaven. That's the only other option. Hell was not originally attended for mankind. As we read in Matthew 25, 41, he says, Then he will also say to those on the left, To depart from me who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not originally prepared for us. Although God knew we were going to fall and God knew the punishment for our sin, throughout all of eternity he has known this fire was prepared for Satan and his angels when he knew that they would fall. And ultimately because of our disobedience and our choice of free will, we put ourselves there. The choice is determined by salvation. Nothing can change a person's fate after they die. There's no second chance. There is no purgatory. There's no parole. And there's no time off for good behavior. An old proverb states, as death finds us, eternity keeps us. Hell is truth seen too late. The lost can never go to heaven and the saved can never go to hell. Matthew 25, 46, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Remember what Abraham told the rich man. Beside all this, there is a great chasm that has been fixed between you and me so that those who want to pass over cannot. Neither can those from here pass over to you. There is a great divide. Charles Spurgeon said these words about hell. In hell there is no hope. They have not even the hope of dying. The hope of being annihilated. They are forever, forever, forever lost. On every chain that is in hell, the word forever is written. Above their heads, the sign reads, forever. Their eyes are galled and their hearts are pained with the thought that is forever. Oh, if I could tell you tonight that hell would one day be burned out, that those who were lost might be saved, there would be a jubilee in hell. But it cannot be. It is forever. They are cast into the dark. Hell is a place of eternal destiny. 
And the only way to escape hell is through Jesus Christ. On the cross, he bore God's full wrath for your sin and for mine. Well, Brother Paul, what is the prevention from going to hell? It's easy. God sends no one to hell. Sin does. A person must repent from, for their sin. They must turn from their life of sin. In Luke it says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish as well. The rich man knew why he was in hell. He did not repent. You have to. To trust in Christ. This is salvation. To turn from sin. And to turn to Jesus in faith. Say this with me. For God so loved the world. That he gave. But have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. It's that simple. To escape an eternity of torment, an eternity of wrath, an eternity of pain, an eternity of despair and hopelessness and sorrow. Believe. Believe. In Romans 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The gift of free will carries with it the consequences of our choices. And the truth about hell has three implications. Listen carefully, please. For unbelievers, you must fall to your knees and you must repent. You must face the fact that you are a sinner Separated from God. Destined for hell. And the only way out. Is the fall before the cross. And put your faith in the one that died for you. For believers. We can rejoice over what we have been spared from. We can rejoice in the fact that Christ Sent his, the God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. We can have joy in that relationship with God. For the church, we have to realize that what we do matters. And we have a commitment to speak to a dying world the truth of the cross. And when we don't, we have to realize that we are being unfaithful to the Great Commission. We are being unfaithful to a calling on each and every single one of our lives. It is not the, solely the pastor's responsibility or solely the evangelist's responsibility. It is us. We are the church of Christ. We are Christ to those on earth as they see our lives. They see our spoken words. They see our deeds. Everything should exalt Christ. Too often, and I know this has been said a thousand times, but too often you are going to be the only example of God to someone's life. 
we preach God from the pulpit and we preach God face to face. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with the true God, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I beg you to listen to these words. I beg you to take that one step. To listen to the prodding of the Spirit in your life and reach out to Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. And too often we don't think about this because we don't want to think about this. But it's all too real. Lord, Build in our hearts a passion for the lost. Let us listen to the prodding of the Spirit and not be afraid to speak of you to the world. Give us strength and courage. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. Thank you for your salvation, not just because it's fire insurance, but because of the relationship that we have garnered with Christ. Thank you. We ask this in the precious name of your son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen.